0: You're listening to the Bearded Hope Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. But We'll just say it it one more time because it is a part of who we are. We do shoeboxes year round. It is a never-ending thing for us because it is such a blessing and such an awesome opportunity to touch kids' lives all over the world. Because when we do these things, are, our hearts are actually reaching to all nations. And so that's why this is so important to us. And that's why we we never stop. That's why you will always see out there on those tables and on our bulletin boards, Operation Christmas Child. It's that important to us. It's part of our DNA. That's how we roll with it. And uh, we want to see that even get bigger in our community and reaching out to different sections. And they're they're pumped for it this morning. I hope, you know. Let's respond. Yeah, no, I'm <laughs> let them know that they're not the only ones having fun. <laughs> so, uh, we have been breaking down over the last few weeks uh, just an understanding of what the beautiful gospel is, what the beautiful good news is, how uh, we carry this beautiful good news everywhere we go. As a matter of fact, the, the word says that beautiful are the feet that carry this good news everywhere. Uh, It's actually a part of our lives. It's actually a part of who we are. And we've talked about the difference between starting at the story of humanity with depravity, with total separation, and how uh, if you start there, you've got a broken picture of history. So you can look at it that way, or you can look at everything being made in the image of love. If you start at depravity, you automatically lead to slavery and destruction, but starting at Father's creation and seeing the fall as darkness veiling humanity's eyes and leads us into woundedness, that humanity is God's wounded children, not not depraved mankind, but wounded kids of God, and that the Son came to heal to to open their eyes, to open the eyes of all humanity and heal them so they can see Father for who He really is. So we have two different starting points, and the question is, which starting point are you going to look at with history? I'm going to look towards the second one. I'm going to look at the Father's heart first and build from there. So these thoughts have brought us to the next thought that we talked about last week, that He really did come to heal all, not some not all. That He died for all. That He saved all. That not some people, but all people. And we looked at how Christ is the elect, right? And that humanity finds their election or their chosenness in Him. Christ is the chosen one, the elect one, and we through Jesus, find our electness, our chosenness, we discover that we're all his children and we're all brothers of Christ, sisters of Christ. We're all a part of that family and we need an unveiling of that truth so we can see him differently. We can see him as he truly is, and receive true forgiveness. And that's a definition that we're really going to have to look at over these next few weeks. What is really forgiveness? What is that? Is it more than just saying, I'm sorry? Is it more than just a, a, a picture of a bended knee and a bowed head, or is it a change of consciousness, a change of who you are? So, if we start with depravity, our view of Father and humanity is skewed. And that brings us to the next thing that we're going to talk about, and that is exhaustive reconciliation. So if we start with depravity, that causes us to separate humanity into the elect and the non-elect, the chosen and the non-chosen, the sinners and the good guys, the heathens and the special, the hell missiles and the not-hell missiles, right? Right? we automatically start dividing people into different sections. That Christ only died for a few people, or that, you know, only a few take advantage of what Christ has accomplished. It's this thought called limited atonement. Limited atonement focuses on this funny phrase, and I don't really like to say it, but it's called penal substitution. It's a funny phrase. It literally means, I'm going to give it to you in a nutshell, this phrase, limited atonement that leads to a penal substitution thought, in a nutshell means that God punished Jesus for the sins of the chosen. God destroyed Jesus on the cross for the sins of humanity. Now, I, you may have heard that taught before. I've heard that taught before. That's always been a hard pill for me to swallow. You mean God squished Jesus like a bug on the cross. There's been a ton of books written about this. There's been a ton of thoughts. And you can go and research them and you can look them up. You can read scripture yourself. And, but here's the two main thoughts that I want to look at, that I want to tackle. And the first one is this. Um, if you base atonement... On a ju- as, a judici- as a judicial term, you're always going to come to c- the conclusion that there is penalty and death for actions. The word atonement has been made into this big, huge, impossible word over time. But the early church saw it as something really simple and organic. Atonement to them Was at one mint, or simply being in the right relationship with another person. And in this sense, what we're talking about is a Right? Relationship with the Father. That was at one minute. At one minute, or you come into an at one moment with the Father. That's what atonement meant. So if we see what Christ did on the cross in that light, then what we're actually seeing is that at the cross... There isn't this picture of God's thumb coming down pressing on Jesus, but it's actually God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in that at one moment bringing humanity together to come into full relationship or back to the original intent of creation at that time. Atonement in the beginnings of the church had nothing to do with with a legal terminology. And the main reason reason why is because there was no legal terminology in the beginnings of the church. The idea of a whole judicial court system didn't happen until John Calvin years later. Years and years and years later. (laughs) There was no talk of any sort of transaction that was necessary to establish a relationship between Jesus and man. We're getting to scripture, don't worry. I know I'm laying a whole lot, but I'm going to lay a foundation. We're going to get to some scripture in a second. It's coming close, okay? That's why instead of using the word atonement and discussing the beautiful gospel, we are going to look at this phrase, exhaustive reconciliation. Exhaustive meaning full comprehension, complete union. That's what reconciliation really means, a reunion, a return to friendly relations. We could see it this way, exhaustive, complete return to the original intent of God's family. That's what happened at the cross. So let's, let's get into some scripture, and I've got it for you. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. One more, there we go. I'll let you go ahead and turn there if you want to turn. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. I'll give you a few seconds. I will tell you, if you have the the version app, it does have um, the Passion Translation on it. But Ephesians 1, 7 through 8 says, Since we are now joined to Christ, we have been given the treasures of redemption by His blood. The total cancellation of our sins all because of the cascading riches of His grace. This super abundant grace is already, already powerfully working and releasing within us All forms of wisdom and practical understanding. Do you see the reunion that is happening in this passage of Scripture? Paul is talking about us now being joined and now being released to the treasures of redemption. Those things that have always been in Father pouring out into us, revealing to us who we actually are. Showing us all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. Reminding us of what our mind is actually supposed to be in Him. Next passage of Scripture is Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom realm of His beloved Son. For in the Son, all our sins are canceled, and we have the release of redemption through His very blood. Everything's been canceled the darkness the veil over our eyes that kept us from seeing father for who he really was has been removed and now we have become quote-unquote new creations new identity or identity that goes back to the original intent of who we actually were psalm 130 lord i cry out to you out of the depths of my despair. Hear my voice, O oh God. Answer this prayer and hear my plea for mercy. I want you to listen to this next passage because this is pre-cross. Lord, if you measured us and marked us with our sins, who would ever have their prayers answered? Pre-cross. But your forgiving love is what makes you so wonderful. No wonder you are loved and worshipped. This is why I wait upon you, expecting your breakthrough, for your word brings me hope. I long for you more than any watchman would long for the morning light. I will watch and wait for you, O God, throughout the night. O Israel, keep hoping, keep trusting, and keep waiting on the Lord, for he is tender-hearted and kind and forgiving. He has a thousand ways to set you free. He himself will redeem you. He will ransom you from the cruel slavery of your sins, from your brokenness, from the darkness. This is pre-cross showing us that God is just willing to forgive. There's no judicial contract here. There's nothing here that says that something has to happen for him to forgive you. He just forgives. I know this messes with you because it messed with me because it's this, this picture here. What do you mean there's what do you, what do you mean nothing has to happen for him to forgive me well let 's look if you start with depravity that leads us to this legally uh, legal idea about atonement, and you see a God who is unable to simply forgive sins. That God is bound to some contract that he can't, legi- he can't just simply forgive. But here's the thing, and this is what we're going to see in these next few passages of Scripture, that that's not true. <laughs> that Jesus, that Father, always forgive. But if we start with depravity and we start with this legal understanding of atonement, then God's justice cannot let sin go unpunished. So, the only way he can forgive sins is to punish someone in our place. So, that would be Jesus. But here's the thing is that really forgiveness? There are no strings attached to forgiveness. If there are strings attached, then that would be a conditional forgiveness. And herein lies the root of this idea. If you preach conditional forgiveness, then you, can comp- then you can preach total control over a group of people. And so that's why somewhere in our dark history, men began to teach and men began to speak about a conditional forgiveness so they could control humanity. They used to control the translations of the Bible... They would chain them to the pulpit so they couldn't be removed. So no one could understand what that scripture said except for the priest or the preacher. Later on, Martin Luther came, thank God. He translated it into a common language. And as soon as the people started hearing the Bible in their own language and they could read it for themselves, you can go back and look at the history, they started having Bible studies with themselves. They started walking the streets and telling people about the love of Jesus. Things shifted. There was freedom. And for some reason, after that freedom was found through those translations by Luther and Tyndale and Wycliffe, where they started producing these things in common languages where people could read them, it's almost like the church had this huge shift of reformation and things were becoming free again. But once with that freedom comes a scare, this scared idea of, but if with freedom that means there's no control. Because I have to build the church. Right? Humanity has to build the church. No, it's Jesus who builds the church. But for some reason, there's this scared idea, and money came into play, and and control came into play, and then then guys started teaching this judicial understanding of forgiveness and atonement to once again put this thumb of oppression on on God's people to teach them and have them understand that some sort of payment had to be paid for them to be forgiven but if you want to understand God and his justice and forgiveness you have to start with Jesus right we start with Jesus Luke 5 let's look and see what Jesus says Luke 5 I don't know if I have this one up there. Luke 5, starting with verse 17. Because there's quite a bit here. That's why I don't think I got it up there. Let's see. This is one of my favorite stories about Jesus. It says One day, many Jewish leaders, known as Pharisees, along with many religious, religious scholars, came from every village of Galilee, throughout Judea, and even from Jerusalem to hear Jesus teach and the power of the Lord God searched through him to instantly heal. Some men came to Jesus carrying a paralytic man on a stretcher and they attempted to bring him in past the crowd to set him down in front at the foot of Jesus. But because there were so many people crowding the door They had no way to bring him inside, so they crawled onto the roof and dug their way through the roof tiles and lowered the man and the stretcher all the way to the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing the demonstration of their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic man, my friend, you are healed. Is that what it says? He says, "My, my friend, your sins are forgiven. The Jewish Religious leaders and the religious scholars whispered objections among themselves. Who does this man think he is to speak such blasphemy? Only God can forgive sins. Does he think he is God? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Why do you argue in your hearts over what I do and think that is blasphemy for me, and to think it is blasphemy for me to say his sins are forgiven? Let me ask you, which is easier to prove where, where, when I say your sins are forgiven let me ask you, which is easier, which is easier for me, for when I you say your sins are forgiven, or, or when I say stand up and carry your stretcher and walk? Jesus turned to the paralegic man and said, to prove to you and to all that I am the Son of Man, have, have the lawful authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you now, stand up, carry your stretcher, and go home, for you are healed. In that instant, the man rose right before their eyes. He stood and picked up his stretcher and went home, giving God all the glory and every step in every step he took, the people were seized with astonishment and dumbfounded over what they had just witnessed. And they all praised God, remarking over and over, incredible, what an unbelievable miracle we've seen today. My friend, your sins are forgiven. He just forgave them. There was no transaction There was nothing that was put out before Jesus to where he had to forgive the guy first. He just forgave him. We're we're trying to see the Father through the lens of Jesus to see how Father actually is. Turn to Luke, chapter 7, a couple couple pages over. We're going to start with verse 36. Let's see, here we go. Afterward, a Jewish leader named Simeon or Simon asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. When he went to Simon's home, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets known to all as a prostitute. And when she heard about Jesus being in Simon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, and went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader and knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all the guests. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with the tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet. Then she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. When Simon saw what was happening, he thought, This man can't be a true prophet. If he were, if he were really a prophet, he would have known what kind of sinful woman is touching him. Jesus said, Simon, I have a word for you. Go ahead, teacher, I want to hear it, he answered. It's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000, the other owed $10,000, and when it was obvious that neither of them would have been able to repay their debts. The kind banker banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave uh, forgave them all that they owed. Tell me, Simon, which of the two debtors would be the most thankful? Which one would love the banker most? Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. You're right, Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Don't you see this woman kneeling here? She's doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as your guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she comes into the home and washed my feet with her many tears and then dried "'My feet with her hair. "'You didn't even welcome me into your home "'with the customary kiss of greeting, "'but from the moment I came in, "'I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You, don't take the, you, don't, "'You didn't take the time to anoint my head "'with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head "'and my feet with the finest perfume. "'She has been forgiven of all her many sins. "'This is why she has shown me such extravagant love.' But those who assume they have very little to forgive will love me very little. Then she said to the woman at his feet, All your sins are forgiven. All the dinner guests said among themselves, Who is the one who can even forgive sins? And then Jesus said to the woman, Your faith in me has given you life. Now you may leave and walk in the ways of peace. Once again... Jesus just forgives. There's no preconditions. There's nothing. Last one, uh, Luke 23. Is, this, is that one on there? I think so, yeah. Two criminals were led away with Jesus, and all three were to be executed together when they came to the place that is known as the skull. The guards crucified Jesus, nailing him on the center center cross between the two criminals. And while they were nailing Jesus to the cross... While they were doing this, why were they, while, while they were nailing him there, he prayed over and over, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus later on in Matthew 18, 21 through 22, I don't have this one down, but you'll know what I'm talking about. Jesus taught his disciples to forgive those who hurt them up to 70 times seven times. Now, did he mean that his disciples should only forgive people after those people that hurt them paid them or offered some sort of payment or did something to earn forgiveness? Did he say that? It's absurd, right? It's absurd to think that if Jesus told his disciples to forgive freely without accepting anything or by accepting something, that's absurd. That's not forgiveness. Then why do we place that same absurdity on the Father? that there had to be some sort of payment. Jesus shows us that he just truly forgives sins, which means that he does not demand payment for them. So, So now we're at this point. So what does the cross mean? Who crucified Jesus? Who punished Jesus? Who destroyed Jesus on the cross? The cross was a crime that we committed. We did it. It was a crime that, was de- that demanded punishment by the law. We were traveling this weekend, and Eric and, and Chandler and myself and Z and uh, Jake Stringer from Kentucky we were talking, and Eric made this statement. he was reading scripture. He said, uh, "In the fullness of time is when the cross happened. There was heaps and heaps of darkness that was unloaded in the earth from This understanding of the law, this this thing that was taught over and over again, that was taken from just ten commandments and exploded into 600, 700 laws and rules and regulations, all from a viewpoint that was messed up over time, this messed up picture of the Father. And it was just constantly laid out and laid out and laid out. And it kept wounding humanity over and over again. And that woundedness caused bloodlust to cry out for someone's death. And so now you have an at-one moment, a moment that stands in all of history as a miraculous, beautiful moment. The Trinity, the Triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come in one moment and, and offer An at-one accomplishment for all. I mean, you can hear your voice when, when they cried out, Crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. Your broken woundedness cries out for that. His heart was always forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. You deserved it. You couldn't earn your freedom, and that's why He came. He brought freedom at the cross. It was our punishment... Or it was, our, yeah, it was our punishment that was placing him on the cross. Our our uh, bloodlust, our anger, our brokenness. And, just, and and think about this. If it was God punishing Jesus, then how could he fully accept us? How could he, if, if it was some payment, then how could, it, it's, it's, It's not true forgiveness. It's not true acceptance. It's acceptance and forgiveness based upon something else. But through Scripture, and we read from Psalms all the way through the New Testament, that He has always offered free forgiveness. He's always offered it. But this understanding puts God at odds with us and it means that God had to be reconciled to us. If we have an understanding that God punished Jesus, then that means that God had to be reconciled, had to be brought into a truce with us. But it's actually the other way around. And I, think, I do believe I have this passage of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 17. Now, if anyone, has enfold, has, if anyone is enfolded, Brought into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. All that is related to the old covenant, the old thought, the old law, the old brokenness has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new, and God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself. Not himself to us, but us to himself. And given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. Not, <laughs> you see this? Not us bringing God down to them, but us bringing them to God. God's not separate. He's not far off. He's right here. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world. Not even keeping records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. In other words, God's not mad. Not keeping records of their transgressions, he's not mad. He's, if anything, there's an emotion here that's empathy. He's sad. His heart is broken because people think that he's mad at them. And it's our job. He's entrusted those of us whose eyes have been opened with the ministry of bringing all men to the Father so they can see His love. So here's the question. If He's not counting transgressions against us, if He's not counting sin against us, who's counting sin against us? Who is it? The accuser. Who's the accuser? The law. It's the law that tells you that you're not good enough. It's the law that tells you that you'll never be good enough for the Father's love. It's the law that tells you that you can't walk right, that you can't live right, and you can't be holy. But relationship says you are holy because he is holy and you are one in him. Relationship with the Father says that you are loved because He is love, and you walk in relationship with Him. You can't earn it. The law says that you can earn it. And it's a false reality. It's a false understanding. It's a false dimension that we've created that people live in. Colossians, I think I got this one up there too, Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For God is satisfied, Did you hear that? He's satisfied to have all his fullness dwelling in Christ. And by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. This, one more time, is God the Father, God the Son, reconciling, bringing everything back into reunion, complete Union, exhaustive reconciliation, complete relationship once again. It's original intent. It's restored and it's open for all. Everything's brought back to its proper alignment. And once again, it's not him to us, it's us to him. It's not him to creation, it's creation to him. The best picture of rec- reconciliation in Scripture is the parable of the dancing father or you might see it as the parable of the prodigal son. I like the parable of the dancing father way better. See Baxter Kruger is the first person I heard use that phrase and I would suggest you go listen and read, to every- read everything that C. Baxter Kruger has to say. He's pretty awesome. Uh, and he likes to tell hunting stories. So if you like to hunt... And Kill Things, you'd like to see Bastard Kruger, too, because he likes to talk about that as well. Lots of illustrations through hunting. <laughs> but in Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32, is the story of the dancing father. You, you know, the son, we know that whole story. But at, at, at no point in this story does the father distance himself from his son. Nor does he ever think that he has to repay, be repaid for what his son did. At no point. He goes the opposite way. When when he sees and hears that his son is coming, what does he do? He throws a party, right? A huge party. And when he sees him walking close enough, he begins to run out to meet him. He gives him a ring. He gives him a cloak. As soon as his son tries to say, but I want to repay you. I I want to give you back what I did. Just make me one of your servants. What does the father say? No. No. This is the story of humanity returning home. And this is the father throwing a party. The father will do everything possible To reconcile all of us to himself. Everything. He can. To reconcile all. Everybody say all. All. Can I tell you in scripture where it talks about how he died once and for all, how he died for all, how he did over that? Over and over again it talks about all, 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 all. Can I tell you when you translate that into Greek, from Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew, it means all. No way in there does it say "some." It means all. That's the beautiful gospel. It's for all. So, then I know what the next question in your brain is: Does that mean every single person is reconciled and goes to and and is reconciled to the Father? That, let's use an old school term. Does that mean that all are saved? Well, wouldn't that be our hope? Why would we hope for anything less? Why is it in us that we would possibly ever say, well, I hope that person goes to hell? <laughs> and I'm just, can I be, just be real plain and real honest with you? I don't even know what hell is anymore. I really don't. If you want me to be honest with you, because I have studied enough and looked at enough and walked through enough, I can tell you what hell's not. Hell is not a place where there are demons tormenting people. I like to use this expression, and Chandler thinks it's funny. It's not where the devil's up up just somewhere with somebody going. Wouldn't that be annoying? Right? But we've painted this picture to people that hell is this place where people go and they're tormented by demons and the devil, and that's his throne room, and that's his kingdom, and he has a throne there. But you know what? He's also the prince of the power of the air, and so he can come out of hell, and he can be like, eh, <laughs> I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog too. Ah, na 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 Right? I'm like, really? He's really that powerful? He can come in and out of hell as much as he wants, and so can the demons. Really? So if we're gonna go with that thought, thought, thought process of what hell is, if that's where they are, then they're there and they ain't going nowhere, and they can't do anything. So I'm beginning to, what is all that? And I tell you what, I am beginning to see. I am beginning to see this thing called death. I'm beginning to see this thing that the more you turn away from God, the more death you experience. Some of hell is here on earth now. There's a lot of death on the earth now, and there's a lot of experiences that happen that is death and hell. And, and honestly, when it comes to the end of all things, I ain't got it all figured out yet, but I, think, I still think that there's some final death, and there's a loving God that finally just says, okay. And if people can say no... To the loving arms of the Father, I think the loving response is, okay. And there's a final death. Now, you might be like, well, that's crazy. Well, you can think that way. <laughs> I'm not going to judge you if you think a different way. You can think however you want. I'm just being open and honest in this moment. I think there's a whole lot more people in the Father's arms than we think there are. And I think that that should be our hope. Our hope should be, yes, more, 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 not less, less, less. Why would we, why would we want to think that way? But for some reason we do. We we've, we've and once again, if if you want to know the origins of this understanding of hell as this place of torment by demons and angels, that or, and fallen angels, that all comes from that same mentality of control. If I can offer a forgiveness that has some sort of payment, then if you don't follow along with this conditional forgiveness, then there has to be a eternal punishment so I can scare you into the conditional forgiveness to live the way that you should, quote-unquote, live. But that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught freedom. Paul, to the point that he said, everything is permissible, but not everything, what? Not everything's beneficial. In other words, grow in your freedom to realize what it truly means to be free. The stuff that's not beneficial if you're in relationship with him falls off. It has nothing to do with behavior modification and everything to do with relationship. And so I'm I'm being serious. I've been a youth pastor for a long time. I have worked with youth for a very long time. And if you preach Jesus, if you teach relationship, they will make mistakes, but they will not stray far from the loving arms of the Father. But if you preach behavior modification, if you preach the dangers of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and you cram that down their throat, if you're not open about human sexuality and you just tell them no, 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 guess what they're going to do? Everything that you tell them no, and they're going to get pregnant, and they're going to go... <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's just how it works. I have lived in that world and walked it out. And I've seen the difference in the messages. It doesn't, the behavior modification, the scare your way into heaven does not work. And that's why we have several generations starving and crying for relationship with fathers, mothers, and their heavenly father. Because all they've been taught is yes and no and not relationship, not the reason why. Relationship is the why. If you don't have the why, you'll never walk right. So it's my heart that we would constantly, constantly look and see that all would be saved. It's not my place to see who goes and who doesn't. I should not be checking off, well, that guy's a hell missile and that guy's a hell missile and that... That is not my place. My place should be for the restoration of all things. That's the good news. It's God's heart that all come to repentance. 2 Peter 3 9. Check this verse out. This means that contrary to man's perspective, man's understanding, the Lord is not late with His promise to return as some measure lateness, but rather His delay simply reveals His loving patience towards you because He does not want any to perish, but all to come re- to repentance. Any and all mean just that. Any and all mean just that. His heart is that all come to to repentance. 1 Timothy, I think it's 1 through 6, chapter 2, 1 through 6. Most of all, I'm writing to encourage you to pray with gratitude to God, pray with all men, with all forms of prayers and requests as you intercede with intense passion and pray for every political leader and representative so that we would be able to live tranquil, undisturbed lives as we worship the all inspiring God of, with pure hearts. It is pleasing to our Savior God to pray for them. He longs for everyone to embrace his life and return to the full knowledge of the truth. For God is one and there is one mediator between God and the sons of men. The true man, Jesus, the anointed one. He gave himself as ransom payment for some... Uh -uh. For everyone, now is the proper time for God to give the world this witness. (laughs) Now. It's never been, it's never stopped being now. And it's never stopped being the message to all that he gave his self-ransom. Payment. Who was the payment paid to? Was in God. The law. He longs for everyone to embrace his life and return to the full knowledge of the truth. To return to the full knowledge of the truth. This is something that's been amazing to me. And I've heard a couple of speakers speak on this. I know you guys knew who Brian Orme is. He's talked about this before. We were just in a meeting. This past week with Randall Woolery and he talked about about it too. But the whole understanding that before anything existed, remember in Jeremiah it says that you were in before you were in your mother's womb, he knew you. There's even uh, scriptures that Paul talks about how that he foreordained you or chose you in love before the foundations. That there's this thought that we were in him in love before anything. And so the heart of the Father is that we would embrace this full life, this Zoe that he has, and return to the love that we had. And you wonder why people, when they get around love, true love, love, true love. Sorry, had a Princess Bride moment. But you wonder why when people get around real love, true love, their heart gravitates toward it. Why, when people truly experience the goodness of the Father that leads men to repentance, not the scariness of the Father, not the judgment of the Father, (laughs) but the heart of the Father that leads them to Him, why they just... I think it goes with that passage of Scripture that says each man has been given a measure of faith. Where does that faith come from? the love that they lived in before creation. Now don't get too weird on me because I'm not trying to be weird. I don't know what that means to be in his love before creation. I don't know if that meant we were having conversations. I don't know. I don't get it. But I tell you what I I picture is we've had three babies now and those babies were in Lindsay's womb and I would sit there and hover over her womb and tell That baby, I'd tell Audrey, I'd tell Ezra, and I'd tell Rowan how much I loved him. I'd sing over and over and over again over them. With Audrey, we used to read stories. Like, I think I read part of the Chronicles of Narnia to Audrey while she was still in Lindsay's womb. So to me, I can see that picture of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and humanity being in the womb of love and them speaking over them. And then we're release, released throughout history. And we're reminded of that love that we had when we encounter the Father. It's released in us. It draws us. And for some reason, and I don't know what it is, we, we shy away from it instead of moving further into it. And we create these barriers, and I almost think it's it's a it's a fear trigger in us. It's like there's, there, we can't move this close. And, and so we section it off and we create these steps and these ladders. And, and the Father's like, you don't have to create a Tower of Babel to get to me. You don't have to create your own system to get to me. This thing is wide open. And I love you. So embrace this Zoe life and return to this full knowledge of the truth that you once were in love that you've always been the prized child of the father and if we can start looking and seeing not only ourselves as that oh man can you just think just think for yourself when you come to that understanding that you've always been a child of God that you were just wounded and you couldn't see him that you were like Paul after falling off a donkey that your eyes were covered in scales And He came and He healed you and removed those scales to where you can see Father for who He really is and walk in true, original relationship that was always been intended. How that opens things up in you. And the more you look at the word Jesus and see more clearly through a mirror, you start seeing who you really are. And things begin to shift and change if you do that for yourself and then you begin to see other people the same way, then maybe our hearts could start to transition into all are called to be restored and all, all have been reconciled. We can start seeing that, hey, there's a whole lot more in the kingdom than we think. We shift our focus from depravity to Father's goodness. We begin to see the real good news is for all. We see this exhaustive reconciliation, this complete reunion that brings us into a full view of the Father. You get to see all of them. And that's huge. you begin to see how he really is involved and entwined into all of this. That he's not separate. That he's in it all. He didn't speak creation into existence and push it away from himself. But he spoke creation and it came out of him. It's a part of He created. So, if creation came out of him, then when he even knelt down and molded man in the image of God, he actually was molding him into and out of himself. That that dirt, that mud, that he was molding into, that came out of the Father. So, you're not only are you created in His image, but the thing that you were created, the the the. Uh, the medium that you were used to be created in, like a potter would use clay, <laughs> you were, that, that clay was a part of the Father. And then he breathed into you life. It's the beautiful gospel. It's the beautiful good news. Everyone needs to hear this message. Not <laughs> you're gonna burn. <laughs> you're going straight to hell. I know we joke about that and we make fun of the guys who stand on the side of the road with the, the placards and all that stuff but really honestly we teach the same things in our churches. Our understanding and our consciousness needs to be changed our conscious needs to be christ and that shift takes place our mind is transformed by the renewing of the word now let me throw something at you renewing by the renewing of the word the renewing of the word is this is is a part of that because it tells the story of the word but the word is is jesus the logos So your mind is renewed by the logic of God, the logos of God, the very mind made up about humanity through Jesus. That's what transforms your mind. So when you get this, everything shifts and changes. Your consciousness awakens to the Father. And you start walking in this. So, we joked about this all weekend. I'm done, and I'm not going to fly the plane around five more times to land. I'm done. <laughs> We're going to end with that thought. Um, but I do want to pray, because I do want this released in you. I, I want you to, to constantly uh, look for yourself. Never take what I say for granted and say, well, that's just it. Man, dig it up for yourself. Uh, look, look some things up through scriptures and find those things. Uh, dig into these intentions of the words and, and find some other translations to read these passages of scripture in and, and allow yourself be a, to be awakened to them and come up with your conclusions and come back and talk to me about it. I told you this last week. You can email me, text me, message me. We can talk about this. We can dialogue about this. We can go get coffee and talk more about it because I want to hear your heart about it because there's things in your heart that needs to be revealed to me that I need to hear so I can be changed and vice versa. That's iron sharpening iron. All right? So let's pray. God, I just thank you for your love. Your love that just encompasses the entire universe and draws us to your forgiveness, the Father's forgiveness. You freely forgive. There's no strings attached. There's nothing attached. You just forgive. thank you that you're not into this conditionalism that that there's conditions based on your love (laughs) you just love because you are love and you've called us into that I thank you that our, our eyes and our minds are being awakened to who you really are. We're coming into a deeper understanding of who we are through the Logos, through Jesus himself. We see that as a mirror and we're being transformed and changed. And God, don't let this just get trapped on the inside of us and let us hold us in and become like Amy Grant says, fat little babies. But we will grow and mature and we will share this with others. We will share the love that you have for all mankind, that we are created in the very image of God and that you love us and you care for us and that you recognize that we're wounded because your son was wounded. Your son walked through all of that and lived as man did and walked through all the woundings and all the wounded uh, brokenness and and carried all of that all the way to the cross and endured our punishment and our bloodlust and all the, the the laws and the, and the tenets that, the, that that law set out and took care of it. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that, that you came in that at one moment and brought us all back to your reconciliation, that complete reunion with you that we can remember and walk in the original intent that you've always wanted us to be. We thank you for that. We thank you that we would have ways and understandings to actually even start relaying this to our kids and to our children and letting them see now about real relationship with you so their hearts and minds will never be corrupted with a law mentality, but they always have a father's mentality of his love and his understanding. That is, that is the true... Teach him, teaching them in all your ways. We teach them all the good love, goodness and the love of the Father, all those ways, all the good heartedness and all the the lovingness that and they will never turn away from that love. We thank you for that. And we thank you for those that we come into contact with this week and we start relaying this that their eyes start to be open and the scales start to fall off bit by bit and they start coming into a relationship with you and their minds are transformed. They they receive that forgiveness and the, and the transplant from a dark, broken, false reality to the light reality happens and they come into the kingdom and they're transformed. We give you glory, Lord. We thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Excited about next week and the good things to come. Um, next month, we got some stuff. I'll, uh, I'll be posting it next week we'll have some dates for another men's meeting and we're going to do another underground meeting in the month of may and uh have some fun with that so uh stay tuned for those things and ladies we're working on something putting something together for you guys as well okay awesome thank you
1: it is such a joy for me to introduce you to the mirror bible my name is franco de toy and it's been my joy to be engaged with this project for several years And uh, the feedback we get from around the world is just absolutely fantastic. From teenagers to theologians, young and old, people are just responding with such joy to the overwhelming impact they have in rediscovering the Bible as it were. You know, the Bible was never meant to be a boring book. It really is the romance of the ages that is celebrated in the great redemption work, the genius of God in successfully accomplishing the redeemed image and likeness of our maker, the engineer of the universe. You know that you began in the mind of God. You did not begin in your mother's womb. You are the very masterpiece of the God of creation. And He has successfully redeemed His image and likeness in your being. The beauty of what we celebrate, we have just come through another Easter celebration. For centuries we have celebrated Easter. But the beauty of what we've often missed in the unveiling of Easter is that Jesus died humanity's death. When he was raised, he He jointly raised us together with Him, says Paul in Ephesians 2 verse 5. And he quotes from Hosea 6 verse 2. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up. The best news is irrelevant if someone feels excluded. If you read the Mirror Bible, you'll discover how included you are in the embrace of God. You can contact us on www.mirrorword.net. God bless you.